0: Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 18, 13 through 23. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you but any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. The next passage is Galatians 6, 1 through 5. and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Finally, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. How was your week? Mine was uh, Mine was kind of mixed, I will confess. Thanks for asking, by the way. Yeah, I had some good time with some uh, folks in the church this week, attending a, a, a small group, and I'd like to see more of those in the life of the church. You uh, folks think about that, maybe starting a, a new small group. Uh, really good, really good fellowship. Uh, spent a few minutes with some of the youth, and that was really good too. So there were, there were some great things that happened this week. There were tough things that happened uh, this week too. Uh, I don't think I'll tell you about them, but they, but, but they, they were there. You know, is the glass half empty or is it, uh, or is it half full? It's, it's both, actually, isn't it? Or my son, who likes precision, would point out that's a bottle, not a glass. Um, so I think when I was here candidating in November, I might have referenced my... I think this is one of my two favorite far sides of all time. I love the one... Um, where there's students in a class and one of the students has their hand up and says, teacher, may I be excused? My brain is full. I love that one. But uh, this, I think, is my favorite one, the chicken of depression. Uh, I, I think I mentioned it in November. Anyway, you've got it on the back of your outline there. And no, that's not me over in the church house. And, that, and that's not a beagle. Um, but it says the bluebird of happiness... Long absent from his life, Ned is visited by the chicken of depression. And I I actually have this comic in color uh, right through that wall in my office there because it reminds me to kind of laugh at myself a little bit. I can be sort of a melancholy baby at times. I think I've kind of evened out more over the years, but I still definitely have that uh, propensity at times. Well, the good thing is, uh, good news is, we're in good company. So this month we've already looked at uh, David in Psalm 13. How long? He says, four times in that Psalm. And we saw him move from protest through prayer to praise ultimately. And then last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that pioneering, fire-breathing, missionary, church-planning Apostle Paul. Who is honest enough with the people to whom he is writing that he says that he despaired even of life itself at one moment when he thought he literally was going to die. But we also talked about how the Lord moved him through that, that he, he understood what God was doing in his life, which was causing him to rely on God, to trust in God fully. And so uh, this month we're, we, we, we looked at David, today we'll look at Moses, ne- next week we'll look at uh, the great prophet Elijah and how they were at their wits end, they were at the end of their rope and how God brought them through and God delivered them. But, but we've also looked at Paul because I don't want folks to kind of dismiss this and say oh well that was, that was just an Old Testament phenomenon, that was before uh, Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all that. No. Paul, who elsewhere says, and I think I too have the Holy Spirit, he said he despaired even of life itself, but by the time you get to 2 Corinthians 4, he says, okay, perplexed but not despairing because he realizes what God is up to. He recognizes God is at work in his life, uh, testing his faith, creating endurance and character in him, causing him to rely on God. So today, we've got Moses. And as I read now, um, I'm just going to read the first paragraph on the back of your outline, verses 10 through 15. Um, If it sounds familiar at all, Diana has already read for us from Exodus 18, which seems to be a a separate but similar instance. We'll explain as we go forward uh, together. Now, before I actually read... Just so you know, the context is uh, the people of God, they want to go back to Egypt. They're out starting out in their wilderness wanderings and they are beginning to romanticize the past. If you know the music of Keith Green at all, classic contemporary Christian music, I guess. So you want to go back to Egypt would be the song there. And he is romant- uh, the, these people are romanticizing the past. They're, they're waxing nostalgic. Oh, didn't we have better food back in Egypt? Co- of course, they, in their selective memory, they, they leave out the fact that they were enslaved, uh, in- enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They say, oh, you know, we had, all kind of, we had vegetables and, and all kinds of things there. Maybe we should go back to Egypt. That is kind of their attitude. By the way... Quick rabbit trail. I think we tend to do the same thing. I know I do at times. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, do not ask why were the former days better than these? It is not because of wisdom that you do this. You get that? A lot of times we tend to pine away for the good old days. For the, as Bruce Springsteen sang, the glory days. But we too have selective memories. We only focus on a few good things, not the whole picture. So the people complained before Moses. And and the Lord judged some of them, not all, that's mercy, right? Uh, And they're sick of manna, so they're weeping. Now, I have to confess, if I was eating cotton candy-flavored rice cakes, breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day of the week, it probably wouldn't take me too long before I would be complaining too. Uh, But truly, judgment begins with the household of God because he does hold these people accountable. And so we pick up in the middle of Numbers chapter 11, Uh, We're going to read several paragraphs today, right now, verses 10 through 15. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all those people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. It, it's pretty strong language, isn't it? Uh, a, a nuance in, in the Hebrew, by the way, our English translation is uh, kill me at once, kill, kill me now. In Hebrew, it basically, it, it's the same word twice. It basically, he says, kill me, kill me. Um, not a real happy thought there. His week didn't go as good as ours, I don't think. Let's uh, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this. We are reminded, Father, from your word that you have seen fit to preserve, that David said, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? We're reminded that Paul despaired even of life itself. And when we look at these instances, maybe it repels us or horrifies us in some way, but it also comforts us. We know we're in good company. We know we're, 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 we're not alone. Uh, but we don't want to just commiserate and stay there We want to be moved ahead in our faith, as David was, to where he did praise you and sing to you, Lord, the God of his salvation. And where Paul recognized that you were at work in his life to cause him to trust not in himself, but on you who raises the dead. Not only did you raise Jesus, you still give life to your people today. So as we attend to this portion of your word, gathered here together as a local expression of the body of Christ, would you minister your grace to each one of us again? We know that you can, and we know that you will. we're, We're praying according to your will, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Last week, the Apostle Paul said he was so utterly burdened beyond his strength and we talked about like a pack horse being overloaded and that's what caused his despair and here um, it says in our passage four times not only I only read a couple of them we'll see it a couple times more in verse 17 where he talks Moses talks about the burden four times verses 11 14 and twice when we get to 17 The burden is too heavy for me. The load is too great. Um, It's too hard. It's too difficult. The burden is too heavy. He says, I cannot carry all this people alone. I can't do it. Uh, Moms and dads, maybe that was your experience just getting the little ones out, out to church this morning with the snow. Uh, maybe that's where you are in life, where you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning. Uh, maybe you've been battling chronic pain. Maybe your job prospects are not so promising. And you feel kind of like Moses. I can't do it alone, by myself. Of course, a key to remember is we're, we're not alone. And is anything too great for the Lord? But Moses is displeased at what's going on. He's in a, he's in a bad mood. He's in a foul mood. I, I can't, he's exasperated. I can't take it anymore. He complains of ill treatment by God. At least he's making his complaint to God, right? Again, a lot of times when people suffer and struggle in life, the mistake they make, the critical mistake I believe they make, is they take it away from God at least, let's give our friend Moses credit here, he takes his complaint directly to the Lord. But he complains of ill-treatment by God a, 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 and lack of blessing. He accuses God of being unnecessarily harsh with him, being too hard on him and, and not showing him enough grace. And he asks this series of rhetorical questions that when I read them aloud, they're, as I said, maybe horrifying, maybe humorous. But uh, in essence, he's saying, not my circus, not my monkeys. Uh, you know, these are your people. It's not my fault. What, what, what am I going to do here? What do you expect of me? And as I said, he says, kill me at once. Kill me, kill me. Kill me now. He was overwhelmed with the people complaining. Uh, the word that's used elsewhere in the first five books of the Bible is murmuring. And murmuring, English teachers, correct me if I don't get it right. I think that's onomatopoeia. That's a, a word that even the sound of it kind of indicates what it is. Murmuring, grumbling, that gives us some idea. And so Moses was a mediator, he was God's, he, he was a, the, the divinely appointed leader for the people. And he was a mediator who's sort of a go-between. In fact, at one point he invites people to go up on the, the mountain with him and they all say, no, no, just you go. You know. So he's a mediator, but he certainly isn't as good a mediator as Christ. There's one perfect mediator, Timothy tells us, between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. A mediator is an arbiter, a, an umpire, a referee, a go-between, somebody that helps bring parties together. And that is what Moses is tasked with, and that's what he is struggling with. And we're grateful that we have Christ as our perfect mediator. Well, so he utters his complaint. As I said, at least he does so to the Lord. So let's continue reading in Numbers chapter 11. Uh, if you turn over your outline and provide it for your convenience, two paragraphs, verses 16 and 17... And then 24 and 25. So how does God respond to this complaint? Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people... The words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud, right? The glory cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud, and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Little, little almost ominous note there. We'll explain that as we go ahead. But um, so, as we have seen with King David, he, how long he says to the Lord four times he begins to pray. He remembers God's covenant love, God's unfailing love, His steadfast redeeming love for His people, and reflecting on that gives him the courage and the hope to then. Move from protest to praise, uh, from his anguish to, again, trusting in the Lord. Similarly, for the Apostle Paul, we saw last week that even though his life hung in the balance and there were moments of despair for him, he recognized that God was at work causing him to incline his heart to the Lord. So what is the, what's, the, what's the cure? What's the remedy here for Ned and the chicken of depression or for Moses saying to God, kill me, kill me now. I can't handle it. I can't do this. I would say to you from the text that it's twofold. It, it involves delegation first and then second, the power of the Holy Spirit. Delegation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two remedies. Those are the two solutions that the Lord of glory provides for his servant. Delegation. So we saw that. Our liturgist already read from Exodus 18. Um, You might do well to compare the two. As I said, uh, most commentators seem to think that they are different instances that uh, these episodes in the Old Testament, in the writing of the writings of Moses, the Torah, the law, when there are mentions of uh, groups of elders being raised up, it seems to be for a short-term, specific project. What kind of committee is that called? Ad, ad hoc is it ad hoc committee, not a permanent uh, committee. It seems that they're to deal with a specific task. So anyway, here in numbers 11, and over in Exodus 18, They seem to be separate instances, but there certainly are some similarities, and we can learn from them both. There's another one in Deuteronomy, I don't remember which chapter right off. All right, so there's delegation. It mentions elders and officers. Elders, elders just doesn't um, always just mean old or older, but it, it means experienced and having some wisdom. In fact, we are at Kishwaukee Church, but we're at Kishwaukee Presbyterian Church. And if you didn't already know, the word Presbyterian comes from the word presbyter. There are two words used in the Greek New Testament to describe or, or explain the office of elder in Christ's church. One of them is presbyter, which means elder. There was a, um, oh, I bet I'm probably the only person that has seen this, so it makes it a doubtful illustration, but there was a glasses company, an uh, optician, you know, trying to sell you glasses, and it had a group of people running around, and they, they, um, they were middle-aged folks like myself that they needed the uh, progressive lenses like I have, which is I've got my bifocal and trifocal and quadfocal and whatever I've got. And uh, so they're running around, and they're saying, free the presbyopic, presbyopic four. Um, Presby, older vision. But it doesn't always mean just older. The other word that's used in the, the Greek New Testament is episkopos or episkopos. Supervisor, overseer, one who has watch care for the souls of others. And that's, you know, our friends, the Episcopalians. That's where they draw their name. So when we describe ourselves as Presbyterian... We're describing ourselves as a church that is led by a group of elders uh, together. So elders and officers, um, supervisors, leaders of God's people. That's, that's part of God's response and his provision there for Moses. The second part is the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are a few things that I think it would serve us well to comment here on this uh, topic first of all the Holy Spirit is a person Uh, we sang together earlier in the service we sang the Gloria Patri we respond with praise glory be to the father and to the son and to the Holy Ghost because there are three persons in the trinity in the in the Godhead And these three are equal in power and glory. That's why we sing glory also to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit should not be spoken of as an it. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, co-equal in power and glory. and, And substance is the word, the language of Westminster, our standards. Substance, we tend to think of tactile, something I can touch. Uh, they, they mean uh, subsistence or essence is really what they mean. And so we worship God, the Holy Spirit, just as we worship God the Father and we worship God the Son. Not an impersonal force. Um, and here in our passage, it speaks of the same spirit that was on Moses, that God is going to take some of that spirit and put it on these elders and officers, these 70 together. Um, he's going to put it on them, and it's going to come upon, upon them for temporary empowerment. But that odd little or even ominous little phrase at the end, but they did not continue doing it, uh, they didn't continue uh, prophesying. How do we explain that? In brief, I would want you to understand this, that things have changed since Pentecost. Joel 2 promises that the Holy Spirit one day would be outpoured on men and women and children, and we see this realized in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so the difference is that in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit would come upon people temporarily to empower them to do a work. Uh, Think about Samson, how the Spirit came upon him and he he pulled the house down, right? Uh, Think about um, even King Saul. Is Saul not also among the prophets? The Holy Spirit would come upon people temporarily, short term, for a specific task, but not stay with them. And so, friends, why this is significant, at least to me, is there is one part of Psalm 51 that you and I need never pray. Psalm 51, uh, David's great confession, right? He commits uh, uh, adultery with Bathsheba. He lies about it. He tries to cover it up, uh, a murder conspiracy. You remember that? Uriah the Hittite ends up dying. So do some other innocent men by being put at the, the the. battle front and they all die this is terrible and when David finally is humbled right the prophet comes to him tells him some sob story about a little pet lamb and David gets indignant he gets his dander up and then the prophet says you are the man then we get Psalm 51 Uh, against thee and thee only have I sinned um you desire truth in the innermost being. These sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart, O oh Lord, that you will not despise. But there is one phrase and one only in Psalm 51 that you and I do not need to pray. It's good when we pray, create a, a, a clean heart within me. Cast me not away from my presence, O oh Lord. But then he says... Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Why did David pray that? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because he had seen the Spirit come upon his predecessor, King Saul, and he had seen the Spirit depart from Saul. That's why David prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But now, but now, for you and for me, Believers, since Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all mankind, men, women, and children. The Holy Spirit is now resident within us. The Holy Spirit now seals us for service. So that's the difference. And to me, that's actually quite significant. So the takeaways on the Holy Spirit there are twofold. He is not an impersonal force. He is the third person of the Trinity and so is to be worshiped. And second, we don't need to pray. Don't take your spirit from me because we've been sealed with God's Holy Spirit now. All right, so I've already kind of stolen my own thunder a little bit from letter C in your outline. Uh, New Testament resonance and applications. What do I mean by that? Uh, where, where Where are these... Thoughts resounded in the Scripture. We've already been looking at uh, David and and Paul, but where else does it resound about this idea of delegation and the power of the Holy Spirit? Where else do we see that in the Bible, and specifically in the New Testament? Um, and how do we apply this information to our lives as believers today? Number one is share the burden. Share the burden. Uh, our liturgist, Diana, today already read for us Galatians 6, 1 through 5, so I'm not going to read it. You would do well to reread it. It says, among other things in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, Bear one another's burdens, and each one shall bear his own load. How's that? Bear one another's burdens, and each one shall bear his own load. Is it a contradiction? No, it's a both and proposition, that we each stand before God, your, your mother can't stand before God for you, your spouse can't, we each stand before God, but Galatians 6 tells us, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? What did he so often say to his disciples? A new commandment I give you. What is it? Love one another. So by bearing one another's burdens, we're able to share the burden. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. We sang the hymn today. What a friend we have in Jesus. And it talks about praying, taking to him the concerns of our souls as we pour out our hearts before him in prayer my single favorite verse on encouragement is hebrews 3:13 i wish i would have put it on your outline i didn't you ought to jot this one down if you're a jotter hebrews 3:13 see friends we don't encourage one another just cuz it feels good or it's fun Or it's nice. Hebrews 3.13 says. Encourage one another today. As long as it is still called today. Is today today? Yeah. When we get to tomorrow. Will it then? Will it be today? Today is yesterday's tomorrow. Now I'm sounding weird. Philosophical. But anyway. Encourage one another. Day after day. As long as it is still called today. And then it is attached with a reason. Lest your hearts grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lest your hearts grow hardened. So we don't encourage one another. From We don't have fellowship. We don't have small groups or, or Sunday school or ministries of the church where you're interacting with one another in the body of Christ. We don't just do that for kicks. We don't just do it for fun. We do it because God says it's necessary. That if we're not involved in Christian fellowship. So this is the public assembly. This is where gathered for worship. And you, you can connect with one another a little bit. I'd love for you to, as some of you did last week, connect with me out in the foyer afterwards. But relationships are really built in smaller groups, aren't they? Which is why Kishwaukee Church would do well to see about, the elders would do well to see about starting some more small groups. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest your hearts grow hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Left to our own devices, we start thinking wrongly about God. We start thinking that, like Moses, I can't do it alone. I feel very alone. God says you're not alone. I'm going to send 70 to help you. We're going to see this continue next week when we look at Elijah. One scripture I will read, um, 1 John 5, in terms of burdens and what is burdensome and bearing one another's burdens and what is not burdensome. Here we go, 1 John 5, the first five. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. that Jesus is the Son of God that's the gospel in a nutshell, is it not, friends? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? then his commandments are not burdensome I'm not going to tell you my whole testimony. I told some of the the young people Wednesday night more than I intended to tell um, but I'll tell you this much I thought being a Christian before I came to know the Lord I thought it was just following a bunch of rules. The best you could do to follow a bunch of ethics or, or rules. And I found it rather tedious and boring for the most part. And I failed at it. Uh, there's that too. When I came to know Jesus and to believe that he is the son of God, the savior, the only hope of the world, the one who forgives sins, the one who raises the dead and imparts eternal life still to his people. When I came to know Jesus... His commandments were not burdensome. You know, the old things fell away. Second Corinthians 5.17, the new came. And it wasn't drudgery. You know, some of maybe your extended family members are not with you today. You wish they're beside you there in the seat and they're not here. Because they think it's, you know, oh gee, you know, you Christians, y'all, y'all, y'all are really a fun lot. You can't do this, that, and the other and you have to pray, and read your Bible, and go to church, and sing, and give money, and all this stuff, well, you know, it's really drudgery. No, his commandments, if you know him, if you know him, and you love him, you'll obey him naturally, and supernaturally, and it's not a burden, it's the joy of your heart. Restore to me, Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and then sinners will be converted to All right, so New Testament uh, residents and applications. The first one was share the burden. The second one is that delegation in the church involves a plurality of elders. I already spoke to it in part. Um, We're not going to look up these references, but they are there for uh, your benefit. We're having an election on February 13th. There's a congregational meeting following service. Hopefully the preacher won't preach too long. And uh, there is an election of officers. And before that time, you all ought to read those first two references, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Because they give you the biblical qualifications for the person who would seek to hold office in Christ's church. And you ought to look at them and then be thinking about the people who have been nominated, which names I'm not sure yet we have placed before you. We'll make sure we do soon. Um, but you ought to be praying and thinking about that. This is your church. We have a representative form of church government, and so the people nominate and ultimately elect elders and deacons. And so you better choose wisely. And when you read 1 Timothy 3 and you read Titus 1, you realize it's all about character. It's all about godly character. There's only one ability that's even spoken. It's like 20 items of personal character traits of character and one ability for the elder the ability to teach God's word I think a lot of times we get it way out of balance anyway Acts 20 1 Peter 5 look at those as well Um, our liturgist again read Ephesians 4 verses 11 through 13 and what does it say in part it says that pastor teachers are given to the church to equip God's people called saints in the Bible. Saints are holy ones, ones who are being made like Jesus by virtue of their union with the righteous life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection of the dead of our Lord, from the dead of our Lord. Pastor teachers equip the saints for works of service. This is how God has structured the church. And one further word in terms of practical application, not only is the election February 13th, but uh, for, for those elder nominees, we're going to get together this coming Saturday morning at uh, 8 a.m. as the, ta- the time stands for now, and we are going to do a bit of training together. And in the meantime, um, elder nominees, you all ought to be reading the Westminster Standards. Uh, The confession of faith in particular and also the catechisms. Catechisms are teaching tools, a series of questions and answers. And if you're going to stand for election and seek admission to an ordination in Christ's church and then you will stand and take vows saying that you support our system of doctrine and government, then you ought to be familiar with what it is. That's not just a recommendation. You're making vows and promises in the sight of the living God and I don't take that lightly and neither should you. So you ought to be reading Westminster. Uh, The the epc.org website is everything you need. Just just poke around there. That's our denomination website, epc.org. Look around or holler at me and I'll set you up. The third and final application point under letter C, our New Testament resonance and applications, is that the Holy Spirit now seals us. I've already spoken to that part. And we can be filled with God's Spirit every day. The sealing of the Spirit, the Ephesians 1 reference. Filling of the Spirit, Ephesians 5. Um, Make the most of the time because the days are evil. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine for that is dissipation, debauchery. Debauchery, I don't even know what that means. Dissipation, it's, it's wasteful. It, it, it's a waste. Don't be drunk with wine, but do be filled with the Holy Spirit. So somebody who's drunk with wine is under the influence, right? It affects their motor control. That's why it's not safe to drive. They're DUI, DWI, driving under the influence. If we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to influence our conduct and what we do with our bodies and our speech as well. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. As believers in Christ, we can experience the filling of God's Holy Spirit and walk in his power every day. This wasn't just a temporary fix to solve a problem for Moses. For the believer now, this is our life in Christ. This is our power for living. God's got a plan. Read the book. How do you have the power to pull it off? It's his spirit living in and through you to empower you to walk in manners worthy of our calling in Christ. There's an old hymn Elisha Hoffman wrote over a hundred years ago. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever cares and loves his own. Let's pray. And Lord, the chorus of that hymn says, I'm, I must tell Jesus, I must tell Jesus, would you work in our hearts and lives so that we care for one another, that we encourage one another so that we don't let ourselves become deceived or our brothers or sisters get hard-hearted and deceived. Moses displays a, a, a bit of a hard-hearted attitude here in our passage, and yet you, broke through that and provided for him and showed him that he was, had some wrong-headed thinking, that he wasn't alone, and that you had plenty of power and help available. Help us to recognize that too. Help us to learn to think rightly about you. And Lord, on the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we pray, we recognize that all human life is valuable. And we pray that you would undertake for justice and truth, that you would help us to live for those things in our lives and to speak up for them uh, at the voting booth and in our community uh, in winsome ways and ways that are honoring to you, attitudes that make for the peace and the purity of your church, recognizing that you are king and head of your church. Amen.